0: Welcome to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenboss. We are grateful to WVU, who offers renowned online master's degree programs in marketing communications, and this series is presented by the Reed College of Media as part of their ongoing marketing series. Thank you for joining us today. Ruth, you and I both know David Robb he's the founder and CEO of the Customer Data Platform Institute or the CDP Institute. And I think you'd agree with me. He is arguably the leading expert on customer data management solutions and technology today. He knows all about, you know, he's kind of like the consumer reports expert for all things platform and software and systems. And I thought we would invite David to come and chat with us and help unpack what the CDP is today and where he thinks customer data management is headed. Let's bring him in. You bet. Hi, David. Hi, guys.
1: Nice to see you all.
2: Thanks for joining us, David. I've got a question to start out with. CDP, so we've got all these acronyms floating around, we've got CRM, we've got UDP, CDP. When it comes to customer data platform, what is it anyway? And why do I, as a marketer, as a business person, need one?
1: Okay, so the the official CDP Institute definition is that a customer data platform is packaged software, that builds a unified, persistent customer database that's accessible to other systems. So if you want to unpack that just a bit, sure. it's Package software. It's not something that you build like the old school data warehouse or marketing data warehouse or marketing database. That was all a custom project that you either built or you hired a developer to build for you. You buy this thing off the shelf, which means it's faster, cheaper, more likely to actually work. Um, unified, persistent customer database Obviously, there's a lot to that, but it's unified. It brings together data from all sources. It's persistent. It stores that data someplace so that you don't lose it if it gets dropped from a source system somewhere. And it's a customer database, so it's organized around customers. It's not organized around products or around web pages or around retail stores. There's lots of things you can organize a database around, but this one is organized to make it easy to pull together all the data about a single customer. And then accessible to other systems means it's accessible to other systems. It's not designed just to build that database for its own purposes because there's lots of systems that might assemble that just to do recommendations, for example, or, or just to take some other do attribution analysis. It's actually designed to share that data so that every system in the company that needs unified customer data has one place to look, which saves some effort because you're not mm. duplicating the effort of building it. And, of course, everybody's working off the same data, so it's consistent.
2: So why do I need
1: one? You need one because most companies today have customer data that's stored in a bunch of different systems, the infamous silos that people talk about so much. And, you know, this is West Virginia. They probably have silos in West Virginia, but it's a good thing if you're a farmer to have a silo. It's not such a good thing in data management to have (laughs) uh, a, a silo. So when people ask us, well, how do I know if I need a CDP? You need a CDP if you find yourself saying, you know, there's this data in this system that I really need in that system, but I can't get to it. So there is retail purchases from my point of sale system in my physical store that I'd really like to share with my website so that I can do retargeting on the website based on what people did in the retail store. Or there's a customer history that's captured on the website that I'd really like to share with my call center agents. So they can see what people have been doing on the web when they're talking to them on the phone. Anything that involves that kind of data sharing, if it's not something you can already do, that's a gap. And that's the gap that the CDP is going to fill.
2: Got it. Interesting. And does it tend to live in the cloud? You said it's packaged software, but am I going to actually be housing it in my own IT systems likely?
1: Uh, That's your choice. Most of these do actually live in the cloud. And, and that's okay. Nowadays, you know, it almost yeah. doesn't matter where it lives. There are certain industries like telco, for example, and banking or financial services where either for security reasons or because there's just so much data to move that they actually prefer not to move the data. They actually prefer to keep it on their own servers behind the firewall, but that's really the exception. Most of these today are going to be living out from the cloud because most of the data starts out in the cloud anyhow or out, out on the internet.
0: So we understand what it is and why we should care. I'd like to pick up on what Ruth was asking. From a marketer's point of view, what can you do as far as outputs? Does the CDP actually do deliverability delivery in different multi channels, or does it make the data available that gets pulled by? you know, your email system or your, you know, whatever social media, whatever type of of a multi-channel environment you want to push your communication out through?
1: Well, the answer is yes, which really means it can, it can be either way. There are actually lots of CDPs. There's about 150 of them by our account uh, that we know about and we discover about one a week. And some just do the data assembly bit. And that's what makes it a CDP is it creates those unified shareable profiles I was just talking about. Okay, so to be a CDP, that's what you have to do. Now, many of the vendors have developed other features. Many of them actually started out offering, say, an email platform and then backed into saying, you know, our customers keep asking us for a CDP or what is functionally a CDP. So let's build one of those too." So there are a lot of systems out there that, do analytics, for example. So in, in, in B2B, a lot of the companies that started out doing predictive lead scoring, if you remember those, that mm-hmm. little batch of firms five, 10 years ago, those actually were CDPs. They were actually pulling in together all that data, but then they were only using it for that one purpose. Uh, they actually, many of those vendors discovered that the data was extremely valuable in its own right and had other uses, so they actually opened it up so the data could be accessed by other systems and the focus of those companies in some cases actually switched to building the database and not so much doing the predictive modeling, but they still have that predictive modeling capability. Or they started out, as I say, as a web uh, recommendation engine, and they built that out. Or So there's a lot of other things that you might buy. And you know marketers would prefer to buy as few systems as possible, generally speaking. If they, So if they can buy one system that's going to both assemble the data and do the predictive and send out their emails and maybe even do their real-time website personalization, Many of them are very interested in that. You know, not Mm -hmm. all of them. Other ones have a website personalization system that they love and they have no desire to get rid of it. Or they have an email system that they love or a web CMS that they love. So those ones are just going to want that core functionality. But other people who maybe don't have those tools or maybe they're not so enamored of the tools they do have, if they can find one system that's all this stuff, they're delighted. So their different CDP vendors have simply decided to fill those different niches.
2: So if we're convinced that this is a functionality that we really need, how do we begin to decide which vendor is, is right for us? Have any tips on, on vendor selection or solution evaluation?
1: Yeah. And, you know, as you know, I've spent most of my career doing a vendor selection. So I, I I, I have one or two opinions on the subject. (laughs) And, You always have to start with the end in mind. I don't think I'm the first person to say that. So what kind of marketing programs or what kind of business projects, because this is not just for marketing, are you trying to achieve that you can't already do? So what are the gaps in your business? And once you figure out what the gaps are, then, so what's going to fill those gaps? What are the functionalities that I need that I'm missing? And then the question is, well, is the CDP the right tool to fill that? Because maybe my problem is poor data quality and I really need a master data management system to amp up my data quality and and the CDP is not really it. Now,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: that particular example, master data management uh, is sort of a component of CDP. So many CDP vendors have a sort of a master data management capability. Others would integrate with the master data management system. But in any in any case, the, you figure out what it what what your particular gap is. So if your gap, as I said earlier, is that I have data in different places that I can't use in other places that need it, that I need to transfer from one system to the other, that's when I need a CDP. If I need to have that data sharing capability and they have to be unified persistent databases, that sells me up, that's a CDP
0: problem. Got it. Well, with 150 different options for us today, that's a lot to sort through to help decide who and where to go for advice and how to pick the right selection.
1: That is true. Uh, So we, you know, the mission of the CDP Institute, I probably should have said earlier, is to be a venture neutral organization that helps people companies do a better job with their customer data. So we don't really care if you buy a CDP or not. We just want you to do a better job. And that's, again, what I've been doing my whole uh, professional life. So what we do at the Institute is we do try to simplify that buying process a bit. So we classify the CDP vendors. Mm -hmm. We, We classify them based on that scope of functionality. Are they just doing the data assembly? We call those data CDPs. Are they doing the the data assembly plus the predictive analytics? And those are analytics, CDPs. Are they doing that plus delivery? And guess what we call those guys? (laughs) Delivery CDPs. Delivery CDPs. You you read ahead. (laughs) What a setup. (laughs) What a setup, right. And then we even have some that are CDPs that are embedded in operational systems, like like an e-commerce platform, for example. And those, of course, are operational CDPs. So we break them into those, those buckets which again, helps you figure out well, what is it that I need? Do I really want to buy sort of that full set of marketing capabilities that includes all the decisioning, all the predictive analytics stuff, then I might want to analytics CDP? But if I really want a delivery engine as well, that does the email or web CMS, then I want to delivery CDP. So that helps you at least narrow down the field. Then there are other things you want to look at. You want to look at what region does it work in? You know, if I'm in Latin America, do they have a presence in Latin America? Otherwise, why do I care? No, there's, a, there's a, Dozen or two big global vendors who are everywhere. Other, other guys might be more limited, mostly either in the U.S., limited to the U.S. or limited to uh, Europe. But some are, and there's a couple, Latin America, there actually are two or three that just are Latin American, only do in Latin America. Uh, so you look at region. You also want to look at price range. You also, also want to look at industry. We actually, at the Institute, on our website, www.cdpinstitute.org, <laughs> sure. if you go to that website, Um you will find that we actually have some filtering capabilities on that, so you can plug in and say, "I want a CDP who works in this region. I want a CDP that works that has experience in this industry," and we'll pop up what I'll admit is a partial list, not a complete list, but oh, uh, ones that we have data on. So we do our best. Again, that's sort of our mission is to make the uh, acquisition a little simpler. But you know, there are other ways to uh, get that information, of course.
2: And we we've been told that it's the retail category that was the early adopter of the CDP technology. Is that right? And if so, why?
1: There really were two that sort of led the way. Retail, the other was media. So things uh, like a Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, where and in both cases, what you have is you have a very strong need to make really good recommendations. Either you're making product recommendations in retail or you're making content recommendations, this movie, this book, this song to listen to on the media side. And both of those work when you have as much customer data as possible from as many people and it's been assembled in a way that is extremely accessible and usable. And again, that's the core capability of the CDP is to pull that data together and to make it usable in that case, often to expose it to recommendation algorithms. So we think that's why there's a lot of data in both of those industries. There's a lot of purchases that are relatively low ticket and, and quick turnaround, short sale cycle. So that's very, that makes recommendations very powerful and, and that makes therefore the data that the CDP built immediately useful. Later industries that have adopted it. So B2B we're seeing it now in uh, there was a, telco, financial services, those were ones that were a little slower to adopt, partly because if you think about those industries, the buying buying cycles a little longer, the tickets a little higher, the purchase a little less frequent. So it's not quite as much data, recommendations are not quite as important in the same way. Um, and, and also those are industries that have historically done a somewhat better job than say retail at dealing with customer data. So they had a better infrastructure, they had fewer gaps. I see, if you will. And now we're seeing things like healthcare and education, which are at the far extreme of, you know, very rarely do you pick a new healthcare provider, very rarely do you pick a college. Of course, they should all go to West Virginia, but if you don't go to West Virginia, then you can go someplace else. And then you have to pick what that would be. So those are A different class, but even those those institutions, a lot of nonprofits in that space, government actually even looks at CDPs. They also uh, have a need to pull that data together from multiple sources. And once you get it pulled together, then you find there's all kinds of useful things you can do with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting you mentioned B2B. We often, Ruth and I, spending so much time in the B2B space, have often thought that B2B companies have this pretty well figured out or had some version of this, call it um, MarTech solution, figured out in the past and that this wouldn't be quite the same point of pain that maybe you see in some of the consumer industries. It, 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 would you agree with that or is that a fallacy?
1: I no, think you're absolutely right. That's part of the reason that CDP was not adopted early by the B2B people. They have their CRM system, which has a lot of data in it. They have their marketing automation system, which has a lot of data in it and syncs back and forth with the CRM. So they didn't feel quite the pressure. They didn't feel the pain of, oh my God, my data is totally disorganized. It isn't totally disorganized, but then you got your website data, which isn't really integrated. Then Mm -hmm. you got your purchase data which isn't really integrated. So you do have these fairly large pools of data, even in a B2B company that's got a pretty decent marketing automation slash CRM setup that aren't really quite as handy as you might think they should be or want them to be. And sometimes even the service and the sales don't talk to each other. It could be on different CRMs. They're both going to have a CRM and not sale the same one. So there is a fairly substantial need even in those industries to pull all the data sources together and make it usable. And I think now as companies have done more and more remotely uh, due to COVID, of course, there's even more understanding that we really need to give customers a very, very well-tuned experience that truly does take advantage of all the data we have about them. Because they think we have that all all assembled. Mm -hmm. They don't really know how hard it is and there's no reason they should care. But in reality, they just assume it's there and it's not. And it's up to us to reach that expectation and meet the expectation that they have.
2: You know, David, well, I think some of our listeners are gonna find this. Well, certainly they'll all find this enlightening and and very informative. But I also think there's been such a proliferation of Martech solutions. We, as we know, people who are keeping count of this are are just every year introducing hundreds of of new products and solutions, and. We're wondering whether CDP is, is adding to the mix in a productive way. Where, where is all this going? Are there just going to be new methods for organizing customer data coming along? or what, what do you think is going to happen?
1: Well, I think that certainly the technology continues to change. And if the CDP vendors got stuck in one technology... It would be possible for them to become obsolete. And that does happen to companies, as you know. But presumably the smarter vendors will re-engineer their systems to take advantage of the new technologies as they come along. Mm -hmm. A lot of the capability is really not as much technical as it is business knowledge, shall we call it. So how do you really merge together customer data? Working with customer data is pretty pretty difficult thing to do. And there are companies that have been doing it since before CDPs. And there's those companies, not that hard for them to really to build a CDP. If you look at an Epsilon or an Axiom, somebody like that, the names that you and I both know for many, many years being around or done in Street. And if you look at companies that really didn't have their deep roots in that, Even if they're working with customer data and this is where you get your sales forces and your Adobe's and everything, they never really had to deal with a lot of the nuances of identity management and stuff. Mm It's really part of their problem because CRM systems really don't do that. They just like assume that the sales agent, whoever's using the system is going to figure out if there's a dupe or not. Uh, So those companies, they they also felt the need for CDPs, but if you look at what happened with them, it took them a while to recognize the need, and then it took them a long, long time to build it because it looked simple, so they didn't bother to buy one, and then it turned out to be not so simple because there is all that deep technical knowledge that you need. So that is... What will keep the CDP vendors relevant, even as the technology changes, they have developed or inherited, depending on where they came from, that deep technical understanding of how you really do a good job with customer data. And that's what makes it so hard for somebody to build their own equivalent of a CDP. Of course, it's packet softwares, you can't build it. If you build it, it's no longer packaged. But functionally, if you you built the same functionality, you could do that. But again, unless you're at a company that really has the understanding of how to work with customer data in a deep way, it's going to be really hard for you to do that. So a lot of companies try to build a CDP internally, and then they actually find out, you know, we should just buy this thing.
0: So with all of the proliferation of these solutions and the increased desire for them, you know, Ruth and I like to look out in the future and say, where would we think things are going? And and you've authored some really interesting blogs and commentary around where you think this is headed. We also know that you've called it is peak Martech approaching at last. And uh, this goes (laughs) beyond CDP to Martech as a larger uh, discussion. So in the time we have left together, David, can you look out through the front windshield and tell us, what does your crystal ball tell you about it?
1: Well, my crystal ball tells me that sooner or later, there's going to be too many of these things, that that the proliferation of MarTech systems has happened because there've been so many little niches to be filled and there will always be new niches. So there's always going to be new, new systems out there that, that do a particular thing that there's no system to do because that's what the, the smart people who build these things do is they, they, they oh, here's a need that I know how to fill and nobody else has filled. So it's not going to be, there, there won't be an end to the growth in the number of MarTech systems, but I think companies have learned that even when they buy one of these cool new MarTech things to solve a particular problem, it adds to the complexity of their overall stack. You have to integrate it. Or if you don't integrate it, then you sort of don't get that much value from it. So they find themselves buying a lot of things and then not using them fully or not using them well. And and I think at some point they're going to, we've actually already seen this, They, they hire what, hap- what happens is they hire a MarTech person and the MarTech person's job is to help them buy stuff. And then the MarTech person says, wait a minute, we're buying too much stuff. You're not using what you got let's slow down here and let's be a little more structured about what we do so they actually end up sort of reducing the complexity of the stack because that's what makes sense so i think that's what we're going to see i think we're going to see certainly large platforms people are going to still buy you know customer data platforms and big marketing automation systems and big crM systems those will not go away and there will be more than one of those but they will be connected together in a deeper fashion and people will be a little less eager to go off and buy that crazy little new hot app that does this cool new thing, whatever that cool new thing happens to be, because you say, you know, we're not using the tools we have. And that might do some cool thing, but I could probably spend my time just making my email better segmented, something really boring like that, and actually get better value for my business.
2: Or keeping my data clean and up to date and complete.
1: Yeah, that that would be nice too, right? And of course, that's the most boring thing of all, but it does actually have value. And that's, again, why you have to have people. It's all about people. It's not about technology. You have to have people who come in and say, you know, this is really what we have to fix. I know mm-hmm. that's a cool new thing, and I would love to play it, and you would love to play with it, but let's spend some time on data quality because that's really mm. going to give us a lot of value across everything that we do. And as people, companies kind of get a little more mature, Grown up, shall we say. And uh, remember, you know, marketing technology is a very young field. I mean, you know, I was there. I, my first marketing technology system was built on a word processor, one of those big old Wang machines that you guys probably remember. You know, they're like dedicated word processors the size of a desk. Right because that's that's what the state of technology was back um in, in, the, the, a, in War the 80s era, right <laughs> the 80s the 1880s when i started in <laughs> very um, funny and you know you know so we're still as mark is kind of learning how to do this stuff so we mm. will figure it out it takes a generation we're actually about 30 years
0: that's a um, good point 30 years love, now so i love that perspective yeah I think it's great. Well, it's good to know there's still a lot of growth and the fact that we're learning about it, um, the industry is learning about it, and technology will continue to develop. So we may be going to more full service, back to complete solutions, that one system as opposed to all these systems, like you said. Stacked customers up. Stacked up, Yes. Well, this has been really informative, David. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us, giving us some insights into the CDP landscape and what it is and where it's going. And we encourage our listeners to sign up for your blog, to stay informed and follow the CDP Institute and all the great content that you have available for them. Here, hear. hear. Right. Thanks, My David. pleasure,
1: guys. Always good to uh, to reconnect. Thank, thank, thank you. you.
2: Take care. Cindy, wasn't that interesting? I really appreciate how David is able to take complex subjects and turn them into a language that an ordinary marketer, an ordinary business person could have a prayer of understanding.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, this is um, an area that so many of us are really afraid of. We're intimidated to talk about the Mm. data. We're intimidated to talk about the technology solutions. And over the years, marketing has become more and more responsible, not only for the budget of these solutions, but also for deciding where you spend your money, right? So marketing, MarTech, Stacks, CDPs, all of this is being directed more and more through marketing leadership. So we need to really understand this and embrace it. And he just did a great job. Yes, and I I also really
2: appreciated how he reminded us that in order to evaluate MarTech options, we need to start with the end in mind figure out what are the gaps in our business and what is the functionality that we're missing and try to go plug those holes. It seems sort of obvious, but it's a really important way to get your arms around the solutions that will really drive business results for you. Loved that.
0: Yeah. And he then took that a step further and shared with us what some of those gaps are or areas could be for us that, you know, there isn't one CDP technology and it's everything, all 150 of these available today, serve and very different.
2: Right. He said he, he was organizing them into at least four different categories. What, what were those? One was about um, operations. You you
0: listed those up, right? So there's data, which, you know, fundamentally is what we always think of as a you know, data management platform is going to solve for our data needs to get data in and out of a system and be able right. to handle complex data. Analytics, adding on to the, the predictive analytics, is that important to you and recommendations that come out of it? Delivery, right. do you need the CDP to deliver out your messaging promotions through websites or through your email or whatever your channel and then what you had said Ruth the operational connection Uh, but I loved what he uh, uh, jokingly said silos are great for farmers but they're not very (laughs) good good. for marketers
2: or business people of any in any function yeah and I also really appreciated how he he made a distinction between technology and and business and that tech tech martech is intended to enable business processes and solve business problems that are identified by humans and limited by business knowledge that that mm-hmm. it's our ability to understand our business and our gaps in order to identify the technologies that, that we need. And it ends up really being about people and our understanding of both opportunities and problems. Like he mentioned, data hygiene, data completeness, that that's something that can't just be solved by tech. It's a, a business problem that people need to address.
0: Absolutely. So once again, we're not looking for the magic technology solution. And also, it's not going to replace us, you know, in so many conversations we've had hmm. around technology and embracing technology, we then get to does that mean that we have whole jobs going away? Right. Is AI going to replace us? So that was reassuring to hear as well that he did not see that. He said, you know, we need to be mindful that it's all about what we can do. And adding on to that, how he said, you know, it kind of struck me when he said, well, MarTech is still relatively new. Yes. I, you know, that was a little bit of a, surprise. a generation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right.
2: So really, I mean, the internet didn't even really enter our lives until the mid to late 80s, right? Really exploding in in the 90s. So, that makes a lot of sense. And just because the new entrance to the business community grew up with it doesn't mean that the technology is mature
0: by any means. Right. And we aren't necessarily as mature as the technology so the fact that there are all these shiny objects and you can buy lots and lots of different tools you go oh that sounds really great and then you find out that you can't use it or don't know how it's it reminds me of you know the 16 year old who learns to drive and wants to go and get the fancy car with the revved up engine with all bells and whistles and you realize They're just learning to drive. They're never Mm. going to use all of that, right? So we have to be careful we're not buying a souped up expensive vehicle when all we need to do is get to school and back as we learn to be more proficient drivers.
2: Right. He seems to be on a bit of a mission to remind us that a lot of the cool technologies we're excited about or end up not really being used And we have to be more disciplined as we select technologies. And likely he's predicting a future where that explosion or that constant creeping of of the, the list of techs, MarTech available is going to either level off or maybe even start to decline.
0: Yeah. It also, when he said it's easier, cheaper, faster, it's out of a box software. So it allows us to do things that you don't have to custom build. And and, and that, while well, that sounds wonderful, it's a little caveat emptor, buyer beware there, that it can make us lazy and not do our due diligence on what you put into it. Um, if you can just open up the box and throw all your data in there, Will we be as diligent in what you and I, Ruth, know hmm. where it all starts? You know, you've written articles on it and we all talk about the importance of data hygiene and it all starts with really being diligent and disciplined about your data. So if you can shove everything you ever wanted in there, look out, it, wow, it could indeed. A, yeah, a real mess. So should we go and chat about our three top takeaways, our, our three little piggies? Do you have one to kick us off, Ruth? Sure. I would
2: say that the his reminder that we have to search for new technologies with the business result in mind. Do we have to understand the gaps in our business and identify the missing
0: functionality that any new technology will help us fill? Absolutely. And that the players in the market have a deep understanding and handling of customer data, which is something that we individual companies do not have to be able to go do this on our own, build it on our own. So in identifying where that gap is, if the gap is within your company's understanding of customer data at that fundamental level, then for sure a CD piece for you. Yep. Um, My second one I thought was that this is expanding rapidly into many industries and the industries that first took on CDP had lots of data, could bring in data from all different sources and it's all customer data and therefore made the recommendation predictive component of it easier around, you know, Industries like retail, where the sales cycle is short and the size, it's not a considered purchase. And there's lots of, you know, purchases makes sense, right? Then you can justify it. There's lots of activity. But that he said it's expanding now to mm-hmm. just about it, every industry.
2: Other categories are recognizing the need, even though their transaction turnover is is longer and maybe their customer bases are smaller like our friends in in the B2B world or automotive healthcare education, he mentioned. Yeah, so that's our second piggy. And third, how about this this people angle of MarTech versus business person that despite the proliferation of MarTech, it's in our lives to help us understand our customers better, manage our customer relationships more productively through a variety of channels and touches and that it's those business goals that is what really drives our need for marketing technology.
0: Yes. I, I hearken back to the conversation we had with Bonnie Harris mm. on a previous A podcast where she also talked about how the technology doesn't replace the professional communicator as the influencer, our intuition, our ability to know how to use it, interpret it and leverage it keeps us at the center of it. And um, for somebody who has grown up in technology, David has, who, who is, you know, his whole um, career and, and, and institute is around the technology solution, where he said, no, wait, it's all about the people and the business solution. The technology as a facilitator was refreshing. For Indeed. Sure. Wonderful session, Cindy. Thank you. Well, it's always nice to speak with David, and it's always nice to speak with you, Ruth. And until next time, we'll chat soon. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu slash today to view our upcoming conversations, listen to previous discussions, and subscribe to receive updates.